Welcome to the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast, Season 3. This podcast is for and about people getting ready for their first ever pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago in Spain, France, and Portugal. With your host, Camino guide and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. we are in 2023, in most ways out of the global pandemic that shook up our world and locked down our communities. Are you still feeling the after effects of the pandemic? This is Nancy, and in this episode, you are going to hear from Georgina from the United Kingdom, who is about to take her first steps on the Camino Frances after a debilitating journey through depression during the pandemic. She has since received a liberating diagnosis that has helped her find her way back to happiness. If, as you listen to Georgina's story, you find her experiences sound familiar and that you too are struggling with depression or other mental, emotional, or psychological challenges, I urge you to seek out help. I am not a licensed mental health practitioner, so please know that the information shared in this episode is not a replacement for professional help. Know also that I admire your courage and strength in taking on whatever is challenging you, including walking the Camino de Santiago. No matter how hard things get, you are never alone. Simply by saying yes to walking the Camino, you have joined a global community of pilgrims that supports and encourages you in finding your way. Before we meet Georgina, I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into the podcast and for trusting me to guide you toward your first steps on the Camino. This podcast is really just the beginning. Many pilgrims listen to the podcast and then feel they have enough information to head off to their starting point. Others feel as though they would like more information and more assistance. Well, I've got you all covered. You probably still have lots of questions, and I would like to help you answer them. Or maybe your questions have transitioned to the phase where Now you need to apply all the information you've gathered into a coherent, personalized Camino plan. If you stop by my website, you can find out how I help pilgrims do that very thing. That website is thecaminoexperience.com. From there, you can also join my email list. When you do that, you immediately receive my top 10 Camino tips, that don't usually show up on the top 10 lists. And then you will receive my weekly Camino newsletter. And also from time to time, notice of special offers I have for my other programs. If you jumped into this podcast series here in season three, you may want to circle back to season one, episode one, where this journey began. In season one, we started at the very beginning answering the first round of questions first-time pilgrims have, like, what is the Camino? 
When is the best time to go? How long does it take? And how much does it cost? Oh, and so much more. Okay, my friends, let's get going. It's time to meet Georgina. Hi, this is Nancy back again for another episode. And this time I have the pleasure of speaking with Georgina in the United Kingdom, which of course is a treat for me because that's one of my favorite countries. So let's say hello to Georgina. Hi, how are you? Hi, Nancy. I'm so well. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm I'm so excited to be here because I'm religiously listening for the last two weeks. <laughs> oh, thank you. And two weeks. So this is fun. This is part of what what caught my attention when you said in your sent in your request to be a guest is that you just decided to walk the Camino two weeks ago, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, two weeks of nonstop planning. I think the Camino has been on my mind for a lot longer, but I booked my flight two weeks ago and that's that. Yeah. Two weeks. <laughs> so you are, you're walking in October which is, by the way, right around the corner. And when this releases, it will be October. So it, you'll be out there right then. I couldn't be happier, actually, that it's all worked together to mean that I'm going in October because I am such a winter or um, autumn person. Actually, I really don't like the hot weather very much. So I'm so, so excited to be in northern Spain for, for their autumn. Excellent. Yeah. The weather, you can feel it change around the third week in September and then it's, it just feels like fall. But this year I'm seeing reports of heat. So Celsius would probably be mid to high twenties still in Spain and Fahrenheit in the eighties. So well, that's a little crazy. I have been checking the long-term like weather forecast for the last couple of weeks and I keep just waiting for those numbers to go down. Yes. I'm I'm really hoping it gets down, you know, 10, 12, 15 degrees. That's that's my happy place. Yes. I'm so with you on that, especially when walking. And so that's what I always hope for as well. How about we start where I always love to start, and that is by putting the pin in the map. And if you would share with, with us the route that you'll be walking, where you're starting, and how much time you'll be spending out there. Absolutely. So I've decided to attempt the Camino Frances beginning in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port. And if everything goes according to plan, I would love to make it to Santiago. How much time do you have? I have got, well, actually I've given myself two months to, to kind of try and get this done. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I'm being quite laissez-faire with the dates and times because I really don't want to try and put too much pressure on myself to complete a certain amount of miles or kilometers a day, or I have to be in this place at this time. I have this beautiful two month chunk of time that leads me up to December. And if it takes two months, it takes two months. Mm, so let's imagine a little bit. When you imagine yourself on the Camino, what type of experience are you expecting to have, or maybe not expecting, but wanting to have? I think a lot of the desire that has driven me to, to try and attempt walking the Camino is based around having some kind of emotional or spiritual revelation. 
I think that could be said for a lot of people who embark on, on a pilgrimage, you know, especially back in the olden days, that, that's the main reason for pilgrimage, right? I envision myself walking alone quite a lot of the time, but that could also just be me trying to stay inside my comfort zone. I find it hard sometimes with big groups of people. I imagine myself doing a lot of contemplating and, you know, walking and thinking and looking. And I, I'm really just trying to have and use this time to get a better understanding of what is going on within me and my head and my emotions. And I'm really hoping that by completing this journey and allowing myself the time and the space to, to do it in the way that works for me at the time, I will be able to finish and have some better understanding of what is going on with my life and where I should be going and what I should be doing, which sounds like a lot to ask, I think, from, from a walk. It reminds me of my first walk back in 2005 when I had been recently divorced. I'd been laid off from my big girl corporate job. I don't have children, so I didn't have that commitment. I didn't own a house. I had gotten rid of my apartment and my car, and I was completely untethered trying to figure out what was next. And I wanted the Camino to give me that answer. And I just ended up with bigger questions. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little trick. But yeah, but you know, it's such a great reason to take yourself out on a journey like this, to just let your spirit, let your soul, let your heart wander and see what it discovers. I, I couldn't agree more, actually. I I'm so fully prepared to come back with even more big questions, but I think there could be something said for taking on something like this. And, you know, it might give more questions or bigger questions or even different questions, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it kind of soothes the soul slightly and yeah. allows you to be asking those questions and maybe not to try and overthink them and, you know, be on them like a dog with a bone, which is how I am a lot of the time anyway. <laughs> mm, so this will be a good, it'll be a good break for you to get away from the routines at home or whatever daily life looks like to give yourself a different daily life for a couple months. Mm. I'm not so sure if it's to, to kind of get away from my daily routines and, and things like that. I think it's, maybe it's just like a new era of travel for me where mm. I'm, looking to do something that is meaningful, that can have meaning, that, that I can kind of look back on or look forward to and think, wow, that's, that's such an amazing journey. Instead of just going on a trip, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, and you've got some travel experience. You shared with me before we started about your time overseas. And so travel's not new to you, but this seems like a different kind of travel, like you just said. This, this is a completely new kind of travel to me. I have traveled quite extensively and I've, I've lived overseas for large chunks of time and I'm no stranger to city breaks. I'm very lucky where I am in the UK. We have some amazing cheap flights to get over to anywhere in Europe and you, know, you can see lots of different things. And I spent a large amount of time in Southeast Asia and I've been on holidays, but I, I think what I'm searching for is, is a true journey. And I think it's something that calls out to people when they first feel the yearning for Camino. 
I really, I feel like it's one of the things that has drawn me to this, that I'm looking for something that's much more meaningful and that that can be a true journey kind of within and without. I love that. I, can we talk a little bit about how you got to this point in, in, you know, the last few years have been tough for a lot of people, but you've got a, a story that is, I would say, probably unique and familiar to some people as we have come out of the pandemic. So if you would, if you would back us up to maybe right before the pandemic and share a bit about your personal story. Sure. Yes. Um, I, sorry, I have to say that I love what you said. It's like uh, unique, but also familiar because I think during the pandemic, so many people had such a tough time and mine is not a unique story in that because it was a tough time for me, but it was a very difficult time for everyone. Just before the pandemic, I had been living in Cambodia, in Southeast Asia for the last 10 years. Um, and I was working for myself with a group of business partners. And we were doing like hospitality and we had some guest houses and hostels, but 10 years working in hospitality, I guess anyone will tell you it's full on. Yes, there's a burnout rate actually. Pretty high, yeah. yeah you get to the point when you just think, I, I cannot take this anymore. So I decided to move back to the UK where I'm originally from. And I had decided to come back and do some work with my family company, which was property management and real estate. My dad was really vocal in wanting me to come back to kind of learn the ropes because I think he had visions of us in an office together and working <laughs> side by side. Yay for dads. <laughs> I know. Ultimately, it didn't work out. It wasn't really for me. Um, so... I thought I could go to university to get my degree because whilst everyone else was doing that, I was in Cambodia running a business. So I started university and um, it was great for the first few months. And then the coronavirus and the pandemic and the lockdown happened. And I had gone from every day going into university and being around loads of people and talking face to face and everything like that to being trapped at home by myself with the dog but by myself it was so isolating and so very lonely and I think that's kind of where my issues started to snowball from and that's what's familiar and that's what so many people went through in that first year of the pandemic and it was such we were so blindsided we didn't see that coming I'm not sure that even if we had, we could prepare ourselves emotionally and psychologically for something like that. I think even, I'd go as far as to say, touch wood, if there was another pandemic, we wouldn't be equipped to deal with it emotionally or psychologically again. It is not a natural state of being for, for human beings. <laughs> yeah. So what what was the toll on you and personally? Yeah, so I I'd kind of, jumped headfirst, which I tend to do a lot with everything, just jump into stuff headfirst very quickly into university and studying and trying to get my degree. And I had started noticing that I was finding it really, really hard to stay on top of all of my work and my deadlines. And within myself emotionally, I was getting really, really down. And in England, we were allowed to go outside for like a walk in the daytime one day, uh, one walk a day, sorry. And it was kind of getting to the point for me that I couldn't bring myself to even go outside to go on that one walk a day. And I have a dog and, you know, mm. you need to 
take the dogs for a walk. And it was it was really, really tough. And I think it it got progressively worse as the months went on to the point that my parents were very worried about me and they they kind of got me to, to move back home with them. And in the end, I ended up seeing a doctor who had, um, he had diagnosed me with mild depression and recommended a course of antidepressant medication. So normal and natural reaction that that's what, that's what you do. Let's, let's fix this. Let's treat it. Let's get you to a happy place. But what happened? The medication and I think the, the diagnosis of depression didn't make me feel better. In fact, it made me feel so, so much worse. And the medication I was on, I found it made me so lethargic and so like numb to everything. And I, I'm not trying to say that antidepressants don't work for people because I know plenty of people that it is the correct course of treatment and everything. But for the next year or year and a half, um, I got progressively more and more depressed and nothing seemed to really be working. And I was getting kind of to my wits end and feeling pretty desperate with the whole situation, which is how I stumbled upon, I guess, trying to figure out what it was that was actually going on with me because the diagnosis of depression and the medication and everything just wasn't doing what I thought it should be. So I'd started researching into other things and I had fallen into the rabbit hole of ADHD and late diagnosis, especially in women. Mm. The more and more I researched into it and, you know, read, read articles and watched videos on TikTok and YouTube about women who had come into this late life diagnosis for ADHD, the more I just thought, wow, that is 100% me. It is 100% exactly what I am experiencing and how I am feeling. And actually, so many women, especially who are diagnosed later in life with ADHD, are first misdiagnosed with depression. And the experience that I had of getting progressively worse is something that can happen if you're misdiagnosed. So I had decided to try and seek a private diagnosis from an ADHD specific doctor. And that whole process took about three months. And within the first week of being diagnosed and on medication for ADHD, not depression, I was so much better. And the first day I took the medication, I had my mom at my house helping me clean up because I couldn't stay on top of the housework or the cleaning or anything like that. It just made me so depressed and I would cry all the time and couldn't leave the house. And the first day I took my new medication, she was there helping me and I had to sit down on the stairs and I just, I cried because I was so happy. I could see things clearly that up until this point, the last two years, I hadn't been able to, to understand why things were making me so, why things were so difficult and why they were having such a huge emotional toll on me. And, you know, within 20 minutes of taking my medication, I felt like I could kind of see the world as it should be. What an amazing turnaround. An amazing turnaround. And I'm still kind of getting, you know, they say it takes like a year to get fully accustomed to medication and things like that. And it's it's now been eight months, I think, I've been on this medication. But between, between then and now, I am just a completely different person. I'm not depressed anymore. I have been out and doing things. I feel like I am capable of doing things. Mm. 
including walking 800 kilometers across Europe. Yeah. So imagine what's possible when we get to that center in ourselves and get that heaviness, that stuff that weighs us down when we can set that aside. And, and maybe it's the social aspect. Maybe for some people, it's simply getting reconnected to their community at home. For other people, it could be the proper diagnosis and proper treatment for a condition. Absolutely. You know, my experience, like you say, it's similar but different. And of course, other people who have experienced the same things would not have the same reaction or experience coming out of it that I have. I think I've been so lucky in as much as the first medication I tried for ADHD has worked so incredibly for me. It's not the case that just medication, there's other things I do and have to do and watch out for within myself as a neurodivergent person. And I, I do therapy as well. And, you know, I try and make sure I'm being aware of the things that can set me off because even though I'm medicated and feeling so much better, I am prone to depression, which is a side effect of, of ADHD, but it is just complete night and day to how I was this time last year. I could never have imagined I would be sitting here talking to you for a podcast, talking about going on the Camino de Santiago. <laughs> That's amazing. Yay. Standing ovation. Yeah. Super exciting. Now you said something that I just want to just briefly touch on. You said that uh, social media had something to do with you discovering you had been misdiagnosed. Absolutely. I um I had downloaded TikTok. I think maybe maybe like only a few months before I went on this whole ADHD journey. And so many people will tell you if they have downloaded TikTok that the algorithm they use can pinpoint exactly the kind of person you are and the things you want to see in many respects TikTok understood who I was and what I was feeling and it was pushing all of these ADHD in women undiagnosed in their mid-30s to me and that is I'd say the main driving factor that made me really look at those things and think hang on a minute there could be something to this <laughs> okay TikTok for the win TikTok for the win in this instance. I mean, in this know, instance, yeah. If you are in a depressive state, hours of time spent on TikTok is something I think that's a very common experience. Sure. Spending a lot of time indoors by yourself on social media, you know, is definitely not good for your mental health. But in this instance, it had a really happy outcome for me personally. Yeah. What is good for your mental outlook is walking the Camino. I really made believe so. There must be science behind this, that being outdoors is better for you than being indoors in these environments that we've created with all this steel and glass and concrete and all these building materials. But to get connected to the earth has to be good for us. Undoubtedly, it's, it's good for physically, but also it's so good for the soul. Yeah. Something I have noticed in these last few weeks where I've been trying to train as much as possible, I suppose, being outside and spending extended periods of time outdoors, just, just walking. I have found myself alone in the forest. I live in Thetford Forest, which is the largest man-made forest in England, I believe. So I've just found myself on these like very secluded forest paths, smiling like an idiot to myself because I've been so happy. I love that. What's up with her? I want some of that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. 
<laughs> oh, good. So when I see you on the trail, I'll know. I'll, I'll know by the smile. Oh, there she is. That's Georgina right there. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I can't wait to hear how it goes. Oh, good, good, good. Well, I have a feeling there will be some people who can relate to your story, especially as we watch the numbers of pilgrims increase after the pandemic. You know, the statistics got all skewed in 2020 and 2021, but we are at higher numbers than 2019. So we can see that people are are eager to get out. They're, they're eager for what the Camino can offer. And it's different for everyone. You know, we, we only hear the stories of people who go and have a wonderful time. And we sometimes don't hear the story that it's, it can be hard. It can be challenging. Things can go awry. But to give yourself the gift of walking the Camino with the attitude that you are going with, I think you're in for that experience you're looking for. Oh, thank you. That's so nice of you to say, Nancy. Yeah something that you just just said that it, it can be difficult it is difficult in a way I am kind of hoping for that because something I have learned in the, the the past few years is that the difficult things are the ones that really make a difference to you as a person and I am hoping I'm going to find it challenging because yeah. that's, that's when the magic happens I think I was recently talking with a woman who's in one of my groups for next year that I'm leading from Saint Jean Pierre de Port, and she asked, "What do you do if it's just too hard? What what do you do?" And what I shared with her is, you know, that's when we go back to why am I doing this, and take a moment, have a seat, turn your back to the trail, and look look out into the the countryside. And remind yourself why you're doing it. Because there will be hard days. It's part of the package. It's part of what a pilgrimage is. It's part of, and it's part of what draws you to it. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. Oh, I love it. You're right, though. The growth happens when there's challenge and when there's plot twists. And we find out who we are when we see how we handle them. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Very good. So you, a two-week two turnaround from idea to taking your first steps on the trail. And I'm curious, what has that planning and preparation process been like? Has it been challenging, easy, any frustrations? What have you come up against? So I, I mean, I guess, yes, in actuality, it has been a two-week turnaround, but I, I first learned about the Camino de Santiago just at the beginning of, of when I started experiencing depression. So it has been on my mind, I suppose, I'm kind of lingering there and gestating that it's something that I need to be doing. Like I, I know, especially from listening to your podcast, people talk about the yearning for the Camino and there's just something, there's something magical about it that you just, it, it draws you to it. So that's been kind of going on in the background, but like you say, in actuality, in the physical sense, yes, it's been a two-week turnaround. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been insane. Like I said, it's, I'm lucky being from the United Kingdom, we can get to Europe so easily and so cheaply, especially compared to people from America. So that part of it has been super duper easy. I, you know, booked my flight in the morning. I think it cost me, and please any American people listening, don't hate me for saying this. I think it cost me 27 pounds. Which is probably about 35, $40 US, yeah. Well, so that aspect has been incredibly easy for me. 
I guess the the challenge has come in that I haven't got any of the gear or equipment, or I hadn't at that point had any of the gear or equipment I would need to undertake this journey. I did used to have one pair of walking boots, but I actually left them in a motel in America a year ago. Oh, I know. I've been searching for my perfect pair of walking boots because I loved those ones. They were perfect. And I've never been able to find them. So acquiring and making sure that I was being very intentional with all of the gear that I was acquiring has been very challenging. And then also the massive amount of of planning and researching and making sure that I'm not throwing myself into something that I am not capable of, which is a pattern with me. I do do those types of things. I just think I'm going to do that. And then I throw myself into it with very little preparation or, you know, real understanding of what would be asked of me in that kind of situation. Okay. So what, what did you discover when you started looking at the Camino through that lens? Yeah. So I, I've been trying really hard to kind of keep my feet on the ground and not run away with romantic ideas about pilgrimage and Northern Spain and Camino, etc. <laughs> so something I have definitely discovered is that everybody has their own strengths and weaknesses and their own abilities that will either help or hinder them walking the Camino. But just because there are these helps and hinders with all these different people, it doesn't mean it's not achievable. Just it might not look exactly like the guidebooks or the planned stages say it will. So I've been trying really hard to be kind to myself in the planning process for the first week I'm there. I'm not attempting a 23 kilometer day once because I know it's not realistic for me. You know, I am in pretty good shape, I guess, at the moment. The job I was doing before this fairly physical and I was on my feet all day and you know lifting and doing and building stuff and the last couple of weeks I have been out doing walking and training and trying to clock up the miles to see hey is this achievable and something I can actually do and yes it is but I am trying so so hard not to think well 23 kilometers that's easy I could do that I could do 30 kilometers why not do this which is (laughs) so prone to do and it's something I have learned about myself as a byproduct of being neurodivergent with the ADHD I sometimes have a great time planning things that are not realistic (laughs) oh yeah okay okay it's the eyes are bigger than the stomach concept just not in the food realm 100 percent um funnily enough when I first learned about Camino de Santiago um and I was like wow this this seems like really beneficial and something great and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of walking paths in the United Kingdom. And we have one near near where I am called the North Norfolk Coastal Path. And I decided I'm going to go and do that. And I planned to do like 13 miles a day. And I was in pretty bad shape at that point. I did not have the correct shoes. I was wearing athletic trainers with no support. And I think after one day of trying to do 13 miles or something, I had the biggest blisters all over my feet. I called a taxi to go to the hotel I was staying at. The next day I did three miles and I thought, no, no, this is not what I can do. <laughs> and then all these things go through your mind like, well, that was dumb or, well, that was a, that was a bad idea or there's something wrong with me that I can't do it. 
No, it it just means that we can step back and evaluate yes. like we would do with any big project that we take on. Yeah. Rather than just walk away from it. So strangely, actually, to go back to your question, sorry, I got a bit sidetracked and meandered there. I think actually now knowing myself as an ADHD person, one of the things that is something I love and comes quite easily to me because of that is planning and researching. Mm. Really, it has been a crazy two weeks of planning and researching, but I have been in the zone. I have been like, I have been getting it done and loving it because I you know, have this one thing that I can really focus on. And I guess maybe the, the, the real challenge has been for me to try not to over plan and over prepare okay. because I want to leave space for the unexpected mm-hmm. injury or, you know, ability or, or the other side of the spectrum. I want to leave space to be able to say, actually, I don't want to go to this next place. I've met people and I would like to see them and hang out with them more. So the, the real challenge for me, I guess, has been holding back and not unleashing all of the ADHD creative energy all over this planet to the nth degree. <laughs> oh, it's great. So you take your superpower and you apply it, but you don't let it run off without some supervision. With great power comes great responsibility. It's very. Yeah, that's perfect. Very good. Oh, I so appreciate hearing that. Yeah. We need to to use our superpowers. And I also have this theory that planning and preparing for the Camino is actually a significant part of the pilgrimage. And some people love to plan, some people hate to plan, but to find your place in there and to use your superpower, do it in the way that you enjoy doing it and let go of those other things that stress you out. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So I want you to imagine you are in Santiago de Compostela. You have walked 800 and change, you know, a little more, a little less, depending on which alternatives, you know, when there's a choice of path, which one you took, the longer one or the shorter one. So you're in Santiago de Compostela and you're at the cathedral and you're, you're there, you did it. What are you thinking and feeling? Oh, Okay. I have actually, I've spent a lot of time thinking because, you know, the journey is important, but also the destination. And I'm trying so hard not to get too hung up on, on Santiago being the destination because I don't want to be too hard on myself or disappointed if something happens and I'm unable to complete it. I have been really trying hard not to focus too much on that, but obviously the mind goes where it goes. And I have spent so much imagining me standing in front of, Santiago Compostela and I think I will be so incredibly proud of myself because the journey for me leading up to this and this two-week planning stage to then actually walking the way of St. James and then actually completing it a year ago I could not it wouldn't have even been a contemplation that it's something I could achieve either mentally or physically and also just being able to to be able to see something I have done and be proud of myself without it coming with a lot of the thoughts and emotions and feelings that people who suffer with depression tend to feel, which is, you know, you cannot be proud of yourself and you feel worthless or you're very hard on yourself. And 
a year ago, had I have ended up in, in Santiago, I would probably be focusing on the things that went wrong. And I think if I'm able to get there this time, it will be all the things that went right and overcoming the challenges to get there. And I will just be, I'll be so proud of myself. We can stop there. That That's it right there. Yes. I think something I'm going to have to be really careful with on that same line, I guess, is especially for the first few weeks, I will have to remind myself that this is achievable and it's something I want and something I can do. But just take your time because I do have that tendency to be so overly critical and to not be kind to myself. Yeah, stop that right now. It, you know, it's, it's daily practice to to kind of try and overcome that challenge within myself. But I think that first day trying to get to Orison, I'm going to say, actually, do you know what, Georgie, you don't really want to do this. That's the thing. You don't want to do it. You probably could, but you don't want to do it. So I'm going to have to keep reminding myself, I do want this because in the, the difficult times, I will probably try and convince myself I do not. For posterity, I'm here telling you, Nancy. We have a record and this is going to be released. And yeah, there are witnesses. You need to get your butt over there on the trail and get get walking. Yeah. Well, the mind plays tricks on us. It really does. It leads us to believe that we don't really want what we thought we wanted. And, you know, not now. I have the same problem with, you know, ice cream and <laughs> eating healthy. Yeah, I, I do. I want to eat more vegetables. But, oh, look, there's ice cream. <laughs> then on the other side, on the other the other side of the coin... I've obviously done a lot of researching and watched videos and read forums about people's experiences on the Camino. And so many people say it's, it's amazing what you can achieve when your mindset is in the correct place because X amount of kilometers a day, day after day is not something people tend to do just regularly. Not on purpose. No. So I think it is quite amazing that you can tell yourself you can do this and then you can go and do it. Yeah. And when you get to Santiago, maybe all there is to say is, wow. Just wow. <laughs> wow. Look what I just did. And then you've got some power within you that you didn't start with. Mm. For me, the way that it manifested is when I was in Santiago after my first Camino, I realized I could no longer say the words, I can't do that. I might choose not to do something I wasn't interested in, but I couldn't say it was because I, I'm not capable. And there's a, there's a power. I think it comes, it comes from the routine and the repetition and the day after day walking and building the strength within your body as well as your emotional self that, wait a minute, I can do hard things. I can walk through the rough spots, literally and metaphorically. That's, yeah. You got this. That's amazing. I'm going to have that on repeat in my mind, especially the first few weeks, I think. Yeah. And there is also an arc to the, to the Camino experience. You know, you get to Saint-Jean and you're like, whoa, adrenaline <laughs> and excitement. And there's a buzz. The energy in Saint-Jean with all the pilgrims getting started is just intoxicating and you get oh, up and over the mountain, you're, I made it to the other side and I'm walking and I'm doing great. And then 
it gets hard. Yeah. And the excitement wears off and the romance fades away. And that's when we've got to dig deep into ourselves and remember why we're there. Yes. Because it does get hard. Yeah. I, like I said, I have such a tendency to run away with the idealized version of things and focus so much on that, which, you know, when inevitably it does not happen that way in real life. Yeah. So disappointed. And that's when I think it creeps in that actually you don't really want this because it's not the way you thought it was going to be. So the question is, what do you want? That's what we have to go back to. What do I want? Why did I say I wanted to do this? Because I want to stand in front of the cathedral and be proud of myself. That's it. Yeah. Easy. Perfect. Okay. All right. So before we wrap up, are there any questions I can answer for you? Uh, yes, actually. So this is a bit of like a practical, boring question, I guess. Oh, yay. I love those. During my two-week planathon, I... Uh, <laughs> have discovered that we have a pilgrim's office in England. And actually there's an area so close to me that is a old walking trail that I could use to count towards my Compostela, which I hadn't realized until I began researching. And that's very exciting. So I sent away for my pilgrim's passport from them. Great. Which I now have. But my question is, once I'm in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, I should still go to the pilgrim's office, right? Or no, I don't need to. I don't know. What What do I do? That's such a great question. Yeah. So why would someone go to the pilgrim's office? Well, one is they do sell the credential so you can get your pilgrim's passport. It will be different from the one you got at home. If you're an American and you get your credential from the American Pilgrims Association, the one in France is different. It's different from the ones you get in Spain. And so you might want to just get another one because then you, you you can collect stamps and fill up as many as you want. They also do stamp your credential and it's a way for you to identify in your credential that you started in Saint-Jean. So when you get to the pilgrim's office in Santiago, they look at that and go, okay, she started in Saint-Jean and that's what goes in the official records in Santiago. They also keep statistics in Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port, so you will be counted as a pilgrim who started their journey there, which gets me all emotional when I, when I try to talk about that. In addition, they sell scallop, well, they don't sell scallop shells, but they have scallop shells available for a donation, so you can get a shell and attach it to your backpack. They also have information available about the journey over the mountain. And so they have a, a really nice color piece of paper that shows the route as well as photos of the key points when you need to get off the road and follow the trail or you need to know there's a water fountain coming up, that kind of stuff. They also give out a list of all the albergues on the Camino Frances from, I think it starts in Roncesvalles or Valcarlos and goes all the way to Fistera and Muxia. And so if you'll stay in the albergues, you might want to have that paper list. Now, those are all in the apps, but those of us who like paper and something to, you know, make notes on and circle and draw arrows, the list is a fun thing to have. They also have a scale if you are so inclined to weigh your backpack. The office is staffed by volunteers. So they're volunteers from the local area, volunteers from Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port, and 
former pilgrims who have already walked, who know what you're about to do. So there's this nice energy of excitement of being at the beginning of something big. Wow. Oh, well, okay. I'm, I'm definitely stopping into the pilgrimage. Here's another tip. When a train arrives at the train station, or sometimes pilgrims come by bus from Bayonne because the train isn't running and the train company puts you on a bus, a bus load or train load of pilgrims will go directly to the pilgrim's office and there will be a line. Same thing when the bus arrives from Pamplona, the bus load of pilgrims will walk right up the hill to the pilgrim's office and then there'll be a line. There's nothing that says that the pilgrim's office has to be your first stop in St. Jean. So if you have a reservation, you can go get checked in or you can go get a coffee or something to eat. And then when the line goes down, you can go back to the office. Great. There is a fun part of going to the office when the line's there because you're standing in line with pilgrims who just like you are about to go over the mountain. And it's a great place to meet pilgrims and get to connect with others. But if you don't feel it, I mean, who likes to wait in a line? Uh, British people love it. You do? Why? I don't know. We just love to queue. British people love to queue. It's a thing. It's one of our things. The other question I had for you was that if I'm planning to start in Saint-Jean and I am splitting the first day up into two because I'm trying not to go crazy. Um, Good. Don't rush the start. Not rushing it. Exactly. I'm prone to shin splints and I need to be careful and I'm intense to do. So I was thinking I potentially could go to the pilgrim's office in the morning and then this is the next day after I arrive and then continue on to Orison. Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm leaving myself maybe four or five hours to get to that midway point with lots yeah. of stops. Does that sound reasonable to you? It's really reasonable. So to Orson is just under eight kilometers. It's the steepest part of the ascent, and it takes anywhere from two to four hours, depending on your fitness level and how often you like to pull over to the side of the road to look at the view or take off your boots and you know enjoy the scenery. So what I like to do is I don't, I don't usually get started until about 10 in the morning, and I, I wait until I can you know, the cafe's open. I can go get a croissant. I mean, we're in France, come on. And a cake. I my favorite cake shop is in, in Saint-Jean. So I take my time. I walk up the hill. Yeah. So let's see, what should we know about Orson? So Orson opens for check-in around one o'clock. They serve lunch at their bar starting at probably noon every day, except Monday. So you know, you can get up there, enjoy the view. If the weather's nice, sit outside on the terrace. Yeah. So there's no rush. The pilgrim's office opens, I believe, at 7.30 in the morning. And there might be a line at the very beginning because people are doing what you're doing. But if you wait a little bit, the line will go down. Or go and get in the queue like you love to. And then you'll find your people to walk with that day. Great. Oh, yes. Okay. Because I, I knew that you know, the, the distance is quite short, but I live in England. We are renowned for our flat typography. There are no hills here. I've been trying really hard during my training process to find hills to go and walk up. There are just none. So I'm not a natural hill walker, which is going to be very interesting, I think. <laughs> it's definitely up. It's up. So yeah, I've it's definitely up. 
trying to give myself just that extra time because my ADHD brain will tell me, go, 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 two hours, one and a half hours. You could do that. Try it. Why not? So I'm just trying to give myself all of that time. And like you say, I don't, you know, check-in isn't until the afternoon. There's no need. Yeah. Why not stop and look and enjoy and talk to people and sit down? Yeah. I'm here. This is it. We're doing it. Excellent. So any other questions? Yeah, actually, something that from listening to your podcast, you said that solo Camino, you know, there are positives and, and minuses and everything, and everyone needs to find their own thing they're doing. My plan is is to not follow the guidebook specified days because I'm not trying to give myself shin splints and walk and kilometers a day because I want to enjoy myself and I want I want to be able to give myself space to enjoy myself which is more to the point I guess yes something you said really resonated that I guess I'm slightly worried about that if you're not sticking to those designated stages which I suppose most people do that it can be quite hard to find people that you see regularly along the way but surely there must be other people who are taking it easy oh yeah I guess it's more of just a general statement than a question. Sorry, Nancy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, but it's a really good point. The thing is, the ends of the stages were identified as the end of the stages, probably because there's good stuff there, right? There's things that are architecturally interesting, churches, cathedrals, services. The end stages will likely have all the services that you need. They'll have more accommodations than the offstage places. And so just to be clear on what that means, in the guidebook, it maps out, for example, John Brierley lays out 33 stages. And when we say at the end of the stage, that's the town, city, or village that he ends that stage on. But if you look at the map in his guidebook, there are all these other places between those two places that have accommodations. So there will be people staying at those. And there are pros and cons. There will be fewer people to connect with, but that could also be a uh, on the pro side, that could be, oh, good. So there might not be as many people in the dorm room or that might it might not be a fight for a bed. And you starting in early October, there will be fewer pilgrims on the trail than in early September. But there's this rhythm that people tend to start around the first of the month in their chosen month. So you might have, it might be busy at first for the first few stages. And then after that, people will start to spread out and you'll find your people. And who knows, people who connect with you might say, you know what, where are you going tonight? I'm going to go there too. You know, so they might want to connect with you. I swear John Briley must be part mountain goat because they are huge days. I, at this point, I can't see it, but perhaps it's one of those things that towards the end. Once you get stronger. Yeah. And the other thing is the Briarly stages don't include rest days or zero kilometer days. So make sure, I always say this, make sure you listen to your body so that when your body says, we're stopping, we're taking a day off, we're going to walk a short day, that you listen to it. And the hardest part is that you will then lose or leave behind or get ahead of your people. But it's something about the ebb and flow of the Camino, you often will find them again. Well, I already know at this point, even before starting to walk, that my body is telling me I need at least a few days in the Rioja region to go to wine tastings. <laughs> Absolutely. 
here's a tip for wine tasting. So I'm a California girl and we have wineries. That's what we do really well. And in California, you go to a winery and they pour you a flight of samples, you know, four or five, however many, and you taste one, one, one. In Napa, Sonoma area, that might cost $25 to do that. If you went into a bar in Spain and asked to try three different red wines or two whites and three reds, you would spend less than 15 euros to taste those. So I always kind of giggle when people go, I want to go wine tasting. And when I'm in La Rioja, yeah, go into a bar. That's all you have to do is just go (laughs) into a bar and I'll take that. I'll take that. that. But be careful. They're full pours. And so you might not be able to walk straight afterwards. Uh, Yeah. Well, I'm not much of a drinker these days, so I will give myself the space and time to recover from that. But being Rioja, I mean, my goodness. And the fun thing is to find your favorite kind of wine. So one of my favorite is called Crianza, and that's not how the Spanish say it, but it's C-R-I-A-N-Z-A. And that just means that it was aged in an oak barrel for a year or two. I'm not sure the exact specifications, but it's not a joven or young wine. So it's got a fuller, more full-bodied flavor. And you're going to see all kinds of Crianza wines. And so just, I'll take that one. Oh, I tried that yesterday. I'll try that one today. Yeah. So it's really fun. It's fun to experiment and try the different wines. I, I'm just so excited for on, on top of the walking and hopefully the kind of time it gives me to, to get all this thinking in and things I'm looking for. Also, just from a, a basic travel perspective, to spend all of that time in Spain and tapas and pinchos and the the wines and I mean just what an adventure I'm so I'm so excited you know it it's really fun to be excited about something I mean we spent those years in in the pandemic and in the lockdown not excited not looking forward to the next day and now we've got some times we can look forward to some things and we can create our fun and our community and our connections so now's now's a good time to walk the Camino it's so funny you say that actually one of the the main things that I would say to my family or my friends during my period of very deep depression was I'm just not excited to do anything I you know the doctor keeps telling me or like my um therapist or psychiatrist or whoever keeps saying you know you need to reward yourself be kind to yourself do things that you enjoy that you love and I just kept saying to them I don't enjoy anything I don't look anything I do not like anything there is nothing happy and now here I am excited to go and eat cheese and drink wine and walk for 800 and it's amazing it's amazing yeah when we're not at our best it's sort of like we can't be bothered I can't I can't be bothered to do any of that and even getting out of bed or showering or eating or preparing a meal seems like too big of a task oh yeah absolutely and to find that, to find something that lights you up, whether it's the Camino or something else, but to be in that headspace and that heart space when you're excited about life and you see the possibility ahead of you, that is, we want to feel that. I'm so grateful that we were able to connect. Thank you so much for sharing your story so openly. Yeah, of course. I'm so happy to do it. Like you said, I think it's something that is unique, but also quite similar to a, a lot of the things that people have experienced, especially over the pandemic. And yeah, it's just one of those things that 
people need to talk about more because it's so isolating when you're in that place and yes there's so many people feeling the same kind of things you are your story will make a difference I think I hope so thank you it's nice of you to say <laughs> excellent all right well I will look forward to connecting hopefully while we're over there we'll we'll run into each other that'd be fun and then definitely I'd love to hear how it goes all right so thanks again Georgina Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All righty. Buen camino. Enjoy your journey. Yeah. Buen camino. Woo.